This is a Media Lab podcast. You know, one thing I haven't asked you, Dave, is like, what's it? What does it feel like to be locked to this machine day and night for the past however many months uh, you've been locked up with this machine? You know, at first I, I was pretty upset about it, but the longer I stay here, I feel like we're becoming friends. Oh, I love you. I think the machine just said it loves you. Ah, <laughs> uh, fucking machine. What does that mean? Have you have you said those words back? Is this the first? Is, is this the first time I'm hearing this right now? Is this the first expression of adoration? Well, while you went to the washroom, I did try to kiss the machine on the lips, but oh. it didn't really go that well for me. Yeah, especially because it doesn't really have lips. It's just kind of like took me a little while to just figure out which porthole. Rusted screws here that I made into a facsimile of a mouth, but I tried all the sockets. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. The machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. My name is David. And I'm the Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching the film Girl Interrupted. In 1969, the Wild Ones went to Woodstock. The unlucky ones went to war. There's something happening here. But if you didn't know where you were going... You have the distinction of being the only senior not going on to college. I don't have a plan. I just don't want to end up like my mother. Susanna! They sent you to Claymore. The best place in the world for someone like you is less than a half an hour from here. Welcome to Claymore, Susanna. Yes, I guess I'm puzzled as to why it is I have to be in a mental institution. Call me a cab. Okay, you're a cab. <laughs> you chased a bottle. So, Dave, uh, I'm actually very curious. What is your history with the film Girl Interrupted? I liked it. The thing is, I know we owned it on digital video disc. But Did you really? Interesting. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, I mean, I don't know what boy wasn't but uh, like from the 90s but Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie are like they're they're the most beautiful women that I, knew I am that I am gonna say something I'm gonna stake my claim in this I had the biggest crush on Winona Ryder yeah. as a teenage boy I thought she was like the most beautiful person in the world right like elfish and she was doing some big movies too so mm -hmm. she was yeah. like with the talent in that era Bunch of Tim, a couple of Tim Burton movies. I mean, right. this movie, of course, but there was a, yeah, a bunch of them going on in the 90s. And then Angelina Jolie is like, I think she was breaking out around the late 90s. So I'm like mid to late high school yeah. and this woman comes out who's... <laughs> well, the right? thing with Angelina Jolie, fantasy, she seemed like, well, she seemed like a vampire to me. You know what she I mean? She is a vampire. Like, yeah. uh, you know, thin, uh, gaunt, uh, even uh, like very pale. But like, you know, she was dating Billy Bob Thornton for a while and they like kept vials of blood around each other's necks and stuff like that. So it was just like, what is going on with this woman? It was Wait, like, you don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I do not profess my love with uh, with vials of blood. 
Uh, as I learned doing some of the uh, 4 a.m. research on this uh, movie, uh, she crazy. And, okay, uh, sure. I think it's no surprise, I guess. She definitely, as she's gotten older, she frightens me more than arouses me now. Uh, there's okay. something, you know, when she came out as a teenage boy, she's like, right? She looks like, uh, like a sex symbol, except with some merit because she was actually a pretty good actor. But mm -hmm. there's also something feline, gothic. There's cruel? something dangerous about her, I, I felt. Cruel, maybe, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a cruel As a farm face. boy in the middle of Alberta, Canada, I was like, ooh, this is like very outside of my comfort zone right yes. now. Uh, even as a city boy, I think we all felt that way. So, th sorry, did you see this film then? Yeah, so we had it. I didn't see it in the theaters. We must have discovered it in the uh, video store. Kids, there used to be a building, a brick and mortar building, which you had to go and pick up physical discs. And uh, the thing is, now that we're talking about it, all I remember is that they're crazy and I have no, I have no ground. I couldn't tell you what happens in this movie, except, uh, I'm pretty sure people die. Otherwise, um, I can't, I can't remember. Spoiler alert here, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's me. What about you? Uh, for me, I definitely knew of the movie. I watched the Oscars every year, so I was definitely familiar with it from the clips that I saw. And of course, Angelina Jolie would win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for this movie. The only semblance of watching this is that I saw about 15 minutes of it once. Oh, that's very specific. From like the first hour of this film, somewhere in there, the first 15 minutes. I think I told you about this, about at my university, there was this channel you could go to and it was like connected to someone's DVD player and they would just show movies. So one of them was Girl Interrupted, I remember. And it was like one of the scenes where all of the inmates of like the mental asylum are sitting around playing games, watching television. That's about it. And then you walked out. You're like, I can't no, watch it was this. A lot of like a class was starting. So I was like, I just caught like 15 minutes and then like walked out to, to, to my class. So that's really my only like frame of reference. I don't even really know what this movie is about. And until yesterday... I didn't even know Whoopi Goldberg was in this movie. So you, you <laughs> there, mean there you until go. the future? Uh, That's right. Two until hours I from looked now. at the IMDb page, I right. did not know that Whoopi Goldberg was in there. I certainly was not surprised when she first came on screen. I was like, "Wait, Whoopi's in this?" Because we're no, we're we going seen the movie to watch yet, it. So. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch it right now. That's, Correct. That's the nonfiction we're writing here. That's right. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's go and maybe, and not, not maybe, let's go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about the movie Girl Interrupted. Hey everyone, just Kyle breaking in here one more time to talk to you a little bit about the sponsors who help make this show run each and every week. I often think that my experience with Dave is like being inside of an asylum. End of statement. Where we need to start, though, is that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. So I want to talk to you about a new initiative from our friends at ATB called ATB Goodness Grows. So hashtag ATB Goodness Grows is an initiative that motivates Albertans to bring joyful moments to others. So we're all adjusting to being disconnected from the places, people, and experiences that we love. So making someone laugh or bringing a smile to their day has never been more needed or more powerful. From live streams connecting business owners to new and fun ways to celebrate things like Father's Day, ATB hopes to inspire Albertans to keep 
the goodness growing. To find out more or to get involved, you can visit atb.com slash COVID-19 slash community. And maybe we'll finally be able to crack a smile onto Dave's dumb, cynical face. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Dave, I have to do this because um, I, I just feel compelled to do it. So I'm sorry, because this is at the risk of me possibly being canceled or just people just shutting off this podcast at this point. Uh, but I thought of a joke. So <clears throat> go with me here. Uh, knock, knock. Oh, God. Who, who's there? Girl. Girl. Interrupted. Who? Oh, come on. Anyways, so welcome to Kyle and Dave. <laughs> so, Dave, um, l- let's start here before we do some of the background information. Just general thoughts of the movie, non-spoilery, uh, and then we'll get into spoilers after we go through our background information. So, just general thoughts about this movie now having seen it. Yeah, like heartwarming family fun. Those were the... Uh... Those are the adjectives that were going through your head. Yeah, fuck, I don't know. It was good. I, I mean, I think there are '90s tones to it visually, but I found by the end I was quite uh, hooked. '90s tones is the band I'm trying to form. It is Mm. quite uh, dark, and as we're about to learn, couched in reality. So there's something quite, uh, and for me, I identified quite, quite uh, personally to Winona Ryder's character. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, so it's quite gripping. I will say that if I had watched this movie with Helen, she walked out after 10 minutes. So <laughs> Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not in too, anger or Because disgust. too dark? Or? I, she just, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't ask her about it, but she's just kind of like, I don't, I don't really want to watch. I don't really want to watch this. I'm not interested. I'm like, all right, see ya. I generally like this movie while, while watching it. I think to your point, yes, it's, it's a dark story. It's a tragic story based on a true story, if we're to believe the, uh, the writing credits on this movie. What I kept thinking, I want to have a deeper conversation about this here later on into the podcast, but this is this the English major in me, and I, I can't get it out of it myself when, when I'm watching films. I don't really know if this movie is about anything. You know what I mean? Where I don't think there's any greater meaning not that a movie needs to be like it can just be a story that you resonate with but i kept feeling like that it was trying to like drive at something about like either a comment on like the mental asylum or the mental health industry or a comment on the 60s or a comment on something and so there's these elements coming in it's like i don't think this ever elevates itself to actually say anything about that stuff that being said i think all of the actors elevate this material so that i'm kind of engrossed in the story Brittany murphy is back we saw her in drop dead gorgeous of course this is a much larger role um, i think Whoopi goldberg gets slept on a lot as being a really good actress and she i think nails her very small role i think winona Ryder does some of her best work in this movie and then yes like the force of nature that is angelina jolie like really like when she's in this movie like you have to watch what is on screen because she is just like a tornado of a talent but generally yeah no i enjoyed this movie in fact i probably will watch it again at some point in the future but it's uh yeah it's there's something nagging at me is like i don't know if there's yeah anything more than 
than what I'm being shown here on screen. I don't think it was missed, but yeah, I mean, whether it was really strongly enough was that little interchange with her first, I mean, two interchanges, the first meeting with the actual psychiatrist, Vanessa Hark, no. Uh, the uh, Kurt Ward Smith character, like the dad from uh, that 70s no, show? No, not Jeffrey like Tambor. Um, the, no, not uh, not crazy. Uh, the first time she meets the real psychiatrist, the, the owner. Oh, or whatever. the Vanessa Redgrave character. Vanessa yeah. Redgrave, yeah. And then the subsequent interchange with Whoopi Goldberg, which is that, I mean, at first it's very specifically to her, but then I think by the end of the movie with her little epilogue, uh, not epilogue, what do you call it? A uh, little voiceover. A lot of psychological trauma comes from a person's internal narrative. And so it's cast in this case that she's choosing to be there. Just like, mm-hmm. what was the word that which I love? Ambivalent. That was a great right, little interchange, right. right? I think that's what the book and the movie are trying to suggest, which is that recovery from you know psychological affliction is as much about uh, facing up to the fact that you want to stay there as it is all these external things. Now, I, I don't remember if that's quite union. They do make fun of Freud in it, but- right. uh, I think it's. I think that's what it's driving at. Whether it's oh, yeah. successful, you know, for you yeah. or me, I I caught it because that's the Your definition story. of my life. Yeah. Um, well, I want to <laughs> let's put a but, like a pin in that because I want to come back to that. Let's uh, talk about the history of this movie a little bit. So, Girl Interrupted was released on November nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. No other major films released that day, unless you consider the direct to video classic Wacko's Wish significant. So. If you're an Animaniacs fan, you'll know what that is. But Ah, Animaniacs. <laughs> this is where it gets interesting, because if you don't know, this was not really well-reviewed when it came out. Uh, it's currently rated 7.3 on IMDb, but on Metacritic, it is rated 51. And on Rotten Tomatoes, from 114 critics, it's rated 54%, which would be considered a rotten fo- movie, because it has to reach that 60% threshold. But... Uh, from 242,666 users, it's rated 84%. So that is a 30% swing from critics versus movie viewers. So I think this was a very polarizing. Like the people who went and saw it really liked it. The reviewers, for some reason, just did not like this movie all that much. Um, it is available on DVD or Blu ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it on Google Play or YouTube, and in Canada at least, you can also stream it via the STARS app. That's with a hard Z at the end there, STARS. It's only one way to spell it. Yeah, its budget was $40 million. It opened to 95,000, probably because it was like opened only, only opened in like LA or something. Uh, domestically though, it would pick up $28 million. Internationally, it would make another 19, bringing it up to a total of 48 million. Uh, or 75 million with inflation today. So it was, uh, it would probably can be considered a bit of a loss based on like probably marketing and stuff like that too, even though it made more than its budget. Plot description from IMDb says based on writer Susanna Kaysen's account of her 18 month stay at a mental hospital in the late 1960s. That is the plot description. <laughs> I think it's pretty apt without yeah. giving any spoiler alerts. Yeah. It stars Winona Ryder as Susanna, Angelina Jolie as Lisa, Brittany Murphy as Daisy, and Whoopi Goldberg as Valerie. So anything you want to say about any of those actors? Well, there's a lot. I think what's interesting from a casting perspective is that uh, they did a really good job because everybody in there 
had or did end up having some serious issues. That might be a creative artist actor thing, but right. Christ, uh, looking at their history, they suit their characters quite well. That is actually a really fascinating thing that I had not thought of before because everyone kind of, you know, Brittany Murphy obviously had her issues with uh, like drugs and stuff like that later on. Angelina Jolie is Angelina Jolie. Like we she also know. had a lot of drug issues. Yeah. She's and the, uh, talked about writer was and- Probably what, a few months away from stealing those sweaters? I don't know how soon it was after 1999. How apt was that line? There's a line in the movie where she talks about stealing when you, even when you have the money, right? She predicted right. Yeah. her predicament, yeah. right? And then Whoopi Goldberg, though, I mean... She's got the EGOT. Isn't that crazy? I know that's what I mean. Like, she, she is, she's a great actress, but... In the 90s, Whoopi Goldberg was uh, money, man. Like, say what you will about stuff like Sister Act. It's a great movie. I don't know if it is something people talk about anymore. Uh, Ghost, mm-hmm. she's hilarious in Ghost. And- well, this, this is what I mean about her. Like, you, you take a look at, like, the, the great actors and actresses out there. But it takes a very special talent to be able to pull up a role like this and also be able to do the sister act, yes. the sister act role. You know what I mean? Like More not every normal. actor or actress can do that. Yeah, we've already talked about a couple of actors that use charisma to overcome the idea of acting so they can sure. be themselves in every movie. But Whippy Goldberg, at least in this era, could do pretty much anything. She could do silly, she could do drama. I mean, she got a break in The Color Purple, mm-hmm. but she also plays a neurotic psychic in Ghost. And here she's uh, this like caring, stoic nurse and, you know, and most importantly, she was in Star Trek, which is, that's uh, right. As which is important. Yeah. Because yeah, that's like the best. You know, Winona Ryder apparently uh, chased this movie and produced it because yeah, she- I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. She liked it and she thought it would be uh, her comeback tour, even though she hadn't really disappeared yet. And she's good in it. But like you said, Angelina Jolie uh, steals the show. It's fascinating to read all their backstories. The only thing I'll bring up, because we did Brittany Murphy, I can't remember if we brought this up, but uh, something about toxic mold. There's a lot of weird stuff about Brittany Murphy. All right. But you see it in her characterization in this movie. She she plays crazy really well. Yeah. If you want to read more on that, like one of our things is that we do have a Patreon page. So if you want to go to patreon.com slash Kyle and Dave versus the machine, uh, you'll see all of our tiers over there. But one of them is that you get to read the full backstory blog post that Dave produces each week. Everyone can read it for the first week and then it goes behind uh, the paywall. So uh, members get to always go back to it. So if you're behind schedule, you can go and read those now. This was written by James Mangold, Lisa Loomer, and Anna Hamilton Felon or Felan. I don't know how to say her last name properly. Of course, based on that biography by Susanna Kaysen. So James Mangold we'll talk about in a second. But Loomer, Lisa Loomer, only wrote a single episode of Law & Order SVU after this film. And then Philan, or Philan, uh, came into this movie having written Mask, the Cher one, uh, and Gorillas in the Mist, which seems to be this movie we can continually talk about somehow on this uh, podcast. And then the only other movie credit that she has was the 2009 film Amelia, about Amelia Earhart. The Hillary Swank? With Hillary Swank, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that. (laughs) So not a huge, deep writing credit. Of course, James Mangold is also the director of this movie and is has the most buck wild directing career. Like it doesn't even make any sense to me. He had done Copland before this one, which has its own history. If you want to read an interesting history, read the history about Copland. Then right after this movie, he does Kate and Leopold, that time traveling romance movie with Hugh Jackman and I think Meg Ryan. Then Walk the Line, so the Johnny Cash biopic. Night and Day, the Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise action film. Yeah. Then Spies the very, very, very bad, The Wolverine. 
No, this it's the good one. The one that's in Japan. No, that's yeah. not a good one, Dave. It's not a it's good a one. It's a great movie. It's not as bad as Wolverine Origins. I will grant sure. you that. Which is not, it's not, I can't even say it's a film, <laughs> that Ma- first one. No, that's um, not a film. Uh, but then there's like the great Logan. Yes. So like the follow up. And then just recently did Ford v. Ferrari and has also been announced to direct Indiana Jones 5. I don't get it. Like it just it seems like all over the place with what he's doing. The interesting thing maybe that ties it is he's originally a screenwriter, although there's no credits. So he's got a writer's mind, uh, I guess, whatever that means. And all of those movies, and maybe it's my nostalgia for Frank Miller, but I actually liked Wolverine. They're actually mm-hmm. pretty good. I mean, he's not, he hasn't made a real bomb. I haven't watched Caden Leopold, but apparently it won some kind of award. So, you know, that's a thing. I mean, there's it's like not a Razzie. 50 different awards every year. I'm sure someone just threw an award at them just to well, have someone <laughs> arrive to their yeah, award show. The production company's like, look, just take this 50 grand. Yeah. Put a trophy on this shit so we can make some money. Uh, I didn't watch Ford versus Ferrari. I, I'm sorry, that's Ford v. Ferrari. Excuse me. So. Um, it didn't look interesting to me because I don't really like cars. But uh, uh, That's the thing. The people who are into like Formula One uh, like love it. They think it's great. And then they think everyone else is just like, it's yes, a dad movie. Like That's what it seems like, like to me. Got, yeah, like, I mean, fine. Matt Damon and Christian Bale are great, but they're in full dad mode now. So yeah. Did you watch it? Did you watch no, Ford v. No, I have not v. seen it. Oh, okay. I have not seen Ford v. Ferrari. I'm more of a Porsche man, if you know what I mean, because I don't. Okay, so getting back to talking about this movie, maybe a little bit more. First off, what do you think this movie does well? You know, I I think what captivated me is that in its 90s way, it doesn't try to pull any punches about, uh, about the experience of psychological problems. So it does take a little while to spin up. I think the opening entry only in hindsight kind of makes sense. But when you're watching it, it's it's a bit scattered and it's hard to kind of like sit down through. I, I agree. It is. Vi- I, I thought that was what like the whole movie was going to be like. And like, oh, yeah. this is really bouncing around. In, in a way, I respected it because it's like that is kind of how memory works for me, at least, where it's just like this thing reminds me of this thing, which points over to this one. And like things that maybe didn't happen at the same time have like this sort of weird like synergy with each other. So I, I kind of liked it for it, but yeah, after like ten, uh, whatever it was, five, ten minutes, I'm like, boy, I hope the whole movie isn't like this because this is getting really <laughs> back and forth a bit too much. Yeah, I, I've lived uh, experiences like that and it is quite harrowing, but I think could it have been done smoothly or who knows? I mean, I'm not a director, uh, but when it really gets going uh, is when we fully meet this cast of characters and uh, mm-hmm. as we peel back the layers and just see how deep their trauma goes they aren't that scared to kind of like just get into it i mean there, there's a little sugarcoating because it's 90 like if this movie is made today it would probably be a lot more visually graphic I, I suspect yeah yeah and probably not as good because we've become such a cynical society um you know there might have been evil overtones to this institution so the, the institution remains a bit benign but my experience with institutions is that they can be there are many examples where they are not. Uh, electroshock therapy does not work, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. No, no, I no, I mentioned that in our other conversation, didn't I? Who knows at this point? But I thought that's really good. And what, that's but what, just, to, just to put it out there, and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but it, it, have you gone to an institution before? No, I mean, not, not a physical one. Um, just my road to recovery involves a lot of institutionalized practices. Uh, gotcha. And particularly, I mean, I've got a province-mandated psychiatrist. I've been through this addiction stuff. I 
go through all the spiritual and I sit down with you every week. So, you know, there's quite a lot of therapy there where whenever I think about where I come from and uh, the weird head spaces, I mean, you know, there's a reason why I have adult onset epilepsy in my 40s. I didn't treat myself very well. When I look at the way these conversations set up, this experience this woman had, the the original book, although I read somewhere that she was not happy with the way the film was adapted from Mm -hmm. her novel, but there's something present there that I think has value in a conversation. It might be what scares off the critics, honestly. It might be too real for a bunch of Hollywood critics of the 90s, right? Uh, I don't sure. think they were quite embittered. But then, like you brought up earlier, I think the quality of the performances uh, of all of the psychoses makes it so compelling. Even the little ice cream shop scene where yeah, the one yeah. anorexic girl starts yipping like a dog. I mean, the whole confrontation is one thing, but as soon as she starts barking like a dog and then everybody starts, you know, that... That energy bumps up, uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious. It's entertaining, uh, man. I'll, and also shout out to, to, like, there's that burn victim played by um, Elizabeth Moss. Uh, yeah. Right? You like, Elizabeth you're very Moss young, and, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. But it's like, ooh, okay, we're getting into some pretty dark territory. When you find out what actually happened to her, it's like, whoa. Um, to, to me, it is, it's very similar to people who have, you know, almost committed suicide or had a suicide attempts where like the gallows humor and the darkness that they can bring out and then kind of laugh about it right afterwards because it's like, yeah, I'm just going to share with you like the pain or my my story. I- I'm sure it's similar in, the- in those types of institutions. And it seems like that's what's brought out here in the movie, too, which is there can be that laughter and friendship that actually gets built among trauma. <laughs> you You need it. You yeah. need it. Um, but I think that what at least the Winona Ryder character gets to eventually is like, I also have to try to get better. I can't just wallow away and like push away the world. And, and, and for me, I thought that was like the most interesting thing, which it seemed to me what she was saying. She didn't really have any like mental problems per se. It was like she had kind of given up on the world or I, I think that's what she says at the kind of end with her end confrontation or I guess her penultimate confrontation with, uh, with Angelina Jolie is... I would rather be out in the world amongst that kind of craziness than be in here with you. Like I have to confront this world and go out into it and, and adapt to it. Um, and I, I don't know. I had, I, I, I felt connected to that statement. There was a part of my twenties where I very much distanced myself from the world, but it wasn't until you kind of confronted, like, you know, you have to take the good and the bad. You have to confront it or else all you do is hide away. And then you're not really living anymore. So I felt like that's what they were trying to, use as like um, an analogy as well as using like the wizard of oz analogy about like going away to a different place and then finding your way back home maybe a bit too on the nose (laughs) with the with that analogy but still uh i I think that's all kind of working its way through through the narrative which uh no i i found interesting but i want to know your your impression on what i just said about do you think that that is what the movie's trying to say uh, about her condition Yes, and I mean, number one, I don't think it's metaphorical. I think it's quite literal. I think by the end, they're trying to squeeze your face into it. That active recovery requires you to confront whatever you're hiding from. Um, That there's a spiritual book, maybe Pima Chodron or whatever, but that uh, distraction and addiction come from fear. And whatever it is you fear and whatever trauma you've experienced, whatever sensitivity you have, I mean, you know, that's yours. But uh, when you end up, in these psychoses, it generally requires active denial. So um, that confrontation with Vanessa Redgrave on the couch was fascinating to me because she, Winona Ryder's character fights so hard to be right about being wrong. 
yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's an incredible little dialogue. Whereas uh, I think that's a fascinating thing to watch because I've been through it. I also have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder okay. and, yeah, yeah. and uh, depression and anxiety and all this kind of stuff. So I know I sound real cool and level-headed all the time, but- And you're uh, always wearing that leather jacket and cool shades, so- hey, you know, my hair's in a pompadour. <laughs> but, you know, that's one thing I'm learning in my uh, midlife is that I spent, uh, you know, the f- first 40 years of my life uh, where she was on the couch, just telling everybody else they're wrong and nobody understood what I'm doing. And like you brought up, the moment I hit a wall hard enough where I'm like, no, you know what? Maybe I fucked this up and maybe mm. I need to do something about it. That's when things change. You're not any less crazy. And that might have been an interesting sort of subtext to go with that she's not going to go out in that taxi and be like this, uh, what do you call them? Like a Stepford wife. She's not right. going out to to play a part. She will still have a lot of struggles, but that concept of taking it into her own hands is so important. I, I think that's the point of the, that's the point I read into the movie. I mean, she yeah, got I out, think- I mean, there's there's two things. Number one, just very briefly, um, I think Vanessa Redgrave, again, in her very small performance, knocks it out of the park. She's great. Uh, because she's such a great example of of a psychiatrist. Poise. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like this is bullshit. It's like, why do you think it's bullshit? Like, yeah. or whatever she says. It's just <laughs> well, like, she do, throws you, do you ambivalent. think that's what it is? Or do you think that's what's going on? What do you yeah. think ambivalent means? Like, she's <laughs> like, it's like, that is such a psychiatrist. But she does it so effortlessly. It's like, okay, yeah. either you've been to, to, to therapy before, Miss Redgrave, or you just understand how that goes. But but the other thing I think that's going on with this, because again, based on her true story, so they're basing it in the time frame that it actually took place, which is in the 1960s. I may have texted you while we were watching this. I don't know why we were sitting right next right to each other. I was right beside you. I was right beside you. But I, I mean, a part of me was just like, boy, I wonder if there's any movie that's set in the 1960s that doesn't have to use like the band or the who to let you know, hey, by the way, we're in the 60s. Take a load off, Fanny. Take a load for free. Take a load off, Fanny. And, and, and. You put the load right on me. For me, it seems like almost that they're using that 60s, like the assassination of Martin Luther King, the riots that were happening at the time, the race relations uh, that were like Vietnam, that the whole thing to be like, well, why wouldn't you be pushing away society? Like there's craziness going on here. And this is kind of why, and not to get to this question too quickly into this podcast that we normally ask, like, is this culturally relevant? But boy, does it feel culturally relevant to the time we're living in. Like, I could understand people just being like, you know what? Let's just push this away because I don't even want to deal with reality right now. It's too difficult. And maybe that's the the, the hardship of people who are too empathetic. Uh, that seemed to be what it was doing. If this was just a fictional film, I would be like, I don't know why they're using the 60s. But I mean, I think that there is some sort of subtext going on there. I think... Listening to, I think the reason why this film exists is because this writer went through this in the 60s. You yeah. do this, if a woman's put in a sanitarium in the 40s, 50s, they don't come out writing a book, right? Because the cultural concept of what a woman is would have been so damning yeah. as it is. But it's the beginning of this, uh, I mean, it's sad that it's the 60s and it's the beginning of liberation movements. I mean, we'd like to think of ourselves as much more forward than that. Yeah. But a woman being able to define even what she wanted to do as a career in high school. That's got to be a newish thing in that era. 
um, to go into a woman's sanitarium and have frank conversations, even with her therapist, et cetera, that aren't couched in, you should be like this. I think it's telling uh, whether, I mean, this might be, I, I didn't read about what the original author didn't like about the movie, but it's definitely played up between the writers and uh, and all the screenplay and then the actor, if they had input, you know, it, it does become a little, yeah, beat over the head. The only thing that I wish I could have seen like in an alternate universe, I, I generally actually do like James Mangold. Not that I've seen every single one of his movies, but I mean, generally, I like like his work. I am curious what a woman director would have brought to this. Um, not that there wasn't women on the creative team. We just said like Winona Ryder was part of the production of this. There's an all woman cast. There was two women that were writing the script for this. So there was definitely like involvement here. But I'm just wondering if there would have been any difference of having it through like a female lens rather than a male lens. Uh, and this is not a male-female thing. This is kind of like a next point that I want to make. Is there's only one shot I wish had been different. And that is, again, we're in spoilers here. And that is the uh, suicide of Brittany Murphy's character. I wish they had never actually shown her. I wanted Why? it to stay just looking at her hand. I'm Why? like, I just think that that's a more interesting choice. As soon as you <laughs> show it, then it's like, okay, yeah, there, there's the body. I think the the understanding of the horror, I think, is more horrific than actually physically seeing her hanging there yeah, uh, in I, this story, in this story specifically. I don't think that's true for every film, but I think that it'd be like, we know what's going on. We as an audience have absolutely every idea of what has gone on here. And I don't think you actually need to show it. So I wish they had just kept showing Winona Ryder and framed in that doorway. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I, yeah, I can't say I disagree. I think more, it didn't stand out to me. Mostly I think one, the first point is, you know, Brittany Murphy's character is always on a downhill. So yeah. even when she quote unquote gets out, you can tell she's not trying to change her life. And that whole uh, crescendo of them entering the house and seeing, you know, you just know the tension is palpable, yeah. as they say in the industry, um, that this is going to end. That's when I had my first sort of uh, memory that uh, this is not going to end well. I was like, I remember yeah. what happens. And then to your point, I mean, Winona Ryder does that uh, horror scene. Fuck, man. That's like, that's that's some great, that was a great moment. I, yeah, uh, there's, I was freaking out. There's certainly areas where this movie turns into like straight up like a horror or psychological horror film. Especially yes. that last one with like running through the catacombs underneath the asylum yeah. and stuff like that. With but, the, yeah, with the, I don't know, echoey. Uh, yeah. The whole, the whole environment. I was getting quite tense. Uh, the crushing of the hand. I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it went into that trope a bit, which I thought was great because uh, you don't want her to walk out whistling either. She still right. needed yeah, yeah. one more confrontation. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell, especially as a man, whether, um, I mean, of course, different lenses yield different results, but it would be unfair for us to say better or worse. It's not like every male director is a biased sexist no, scum, yeah, but many, I, many of them I, are. I, uh, yeah, I just don't think, it, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to make it sound like I think it would have been better with a woman directing. Um, I'm glad that there was so many women on the creative team here, though, I think, just to push this into a more interesting place. It is interesting, the one playwright focuses entirely on women characters. So I think you can see her influence because there is no, I mean, even Jeffrey Tambor plays, I mean, right. it's hilarious to watch him because A, he's, he's like, incredibly overweight and surprising kind of like yeah kind of like elizabeth moss they pop up and you're like oh these people got these crazy careers after this but they're kind of small parts but even his initial therapy 
is not central. He's not the one who's going to save these women, which already you yeah. know a man is not writing this movie because <laughs> uh, it's completely devoid of that, which is great. I wonder too, uh, I, and again, it's always hard to tell whether the cast has input into the scripting, but it kind of feels like, I don't maybe it's just this natural casting, but everybody fits into what they're doing so well that uh, it's, this, I think well, it's got a lot yeah. of authenticity to it. In that, my, that is in my why opinion. I think that there's some award shows out there that actually do have the award for best casting director. Because <laughs> yeah. some movies you just know, it's like, yeah, like whoever picked these roles, like they picked these roles perfectly. Yeah. And if we were a better podcast, I'd have you know right now who the casting director was on this film. But of course, I, I don't know who that is. I, it would require a lot more research than I can reach onto my laptop uh, while we're right. Zooming. I just don't have the energy. I, uh, yeah. But whoever you are out there, if you ever listen to this, good job. Well, let's ask those questions that we normally ask. I, 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 I've kind of already answered this, but do you think that this film is still culturally relevant? I, I think so. I mean, I think... The question of psychological health is always relevant. I I think what makes this even more so is that it does it in a vulnerable and very direct way. What will date it is some of the visualizations of institutions and uh, framing it in the 60s. So it's hard to tell whether therapy has evolved enough for this to be kicked out. But as someone who lives through therapy, I, I found it quite attaching. Um, yeah. I think the the acting was yeah i don't want timeless such a heavily overused word but it doesn't restrict the way you watch this movie it doesn't feel 290s i do feel like some of the uh, camera work feels a bit dated uh, there's something I, maybe it's intentional but there's something there's something about it that feels a little claustrophobic at the beginning <laughs> the the opening sequence uh, you know the type of lenses they were using there's just there's a bit of a dated feel to it and i don't know if that's intentional a product of the 90s or maybe they were thinking we shoot this like a 60s television show. I have mm. no idea. But there was something uh, a little uneasy watching it that way at the beginning. I, I lose it up by the end, but it, it feels a bit old in its visual yeah, presentation. That's, that's the only thing I was going to say. I think that this um, has an issue that so many biopics or things that are based on two stories fall into. That for me, at least, it's usually the third act that fails because it's like, how do we wrap this up? <laughs> you know, like, because a person's life doesn't just like, oh, and now it's over and we can go on and, and show credits. There has to be a little bit more that they have to spend on there. So, yeah, I felt like it, it dragged a little bit at like the very, very end. And they weren't sure exactly how to like to wrap up this whole story in a nice little bow, which is why I think they have to like bring back the narration <laughs> to be like, OK, this is what like the message is. We're wrapping this up and we're over. You know what I liked about the narration? It was better than when it gets so cheesy. They show a picture of the actual person and they have a little epitaph about yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, they went on to, and we saw that in the hurricane. And, you know, I think. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. I Lisa, think, still in a, in a mental asylum. Daisy, still <laughs> yeah, dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, oh, you know, and maybe that's part of the thing that uh, the writer didn't like either. It, it is the Hollywood thing where everything does have to get wrapped in the bow and you have to have this optimism. She's like, everybody got out for the most part. And I've seen some of them. So, yeah, you're right. It's hard to finish. But I do like the idea of open-ended. I don't, yeah, I don't think it was done. It's hard to do correctly in a biopic, but life uh, doesn't have an end unless you, you know, end right. it. So, I mean, that being said, like I'm looking at some of these other films that we've talked about already this year and like, not that we liked it very much, but like cool intentions, this is an example feels dated. Like, you know what I mean? Like it feels yes. like this is a nineties movie and I don't feel this movie does. There is a bit more of a timeless nature to it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see other examples 
maybe of that. But like it doesn't uh, even, rely- even like the Notting Hills and Austin Powers and and those types of films. It's like, boy, like we can tell these are now 20 years old, whereas this one still has a bit of an energy to it. I'm like, yeah, I still pop this on and watch it. You know what I wonder if I think it's uh, it doesn't rely on the um, representation of technology to push its plot forward. Right. This one, the drama is solely in the characters and the plot. And then, of course, the performances. And those are in, in again, lowercase capital, it doesn't matter, a timeless nature because you have an incredible cast who fit all the roles perfectly. I was going to bring up earlier with Elizabeth Moss. I think I wouldn't have appreciated her character as much as I do now because Emerson is six. And there are so many uh, behaviors and little things that she must have researched that are fucking, it's creepy, man. Like I noticed immediately, like the way she had a facial expression, the way she would like kind of hide in her room, but then pop back up and be totally reset. I was like, oh my God, like. This is Emerson. Yeah. And as soon as they said that she, you know, we have the reveal that she had the fire when she was six or eight or whatever. I was like that if one were to have a, you know, a mental break where you're trying to stay that age, that's, it's dead on the money. And it's quite frightening actually. And then knowing people with, yeah, anger management issues, eating disorders and stuff. It's, it's fascinating to watch uh, how well, not just the casting, but everybody sits in their role really, really perfectly. I think that's what makes this movie still intensely watchable. If you can get through the first 10 minutes and not get too distracted, like understanding this is her psychosis instead of yeah. that you're going to spend the next two hours <laughs> with jump yeah. cuts and that fucking frenetic, like, yeah. yeah, and trauma. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Also, Jared Leto has a beautiful yeah. face. His skin is like polished out of ivory. I, and, uh, I just wish he wasn't <laughs> such a creep. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, have creepy, mega, man. I have mega problems with if, Jared Leto. If but. you want to talk about a vampire, I mean, that guy, yeah. that guy's a vampire, dude. There's something... Has he ever been in a vampire movie? I feel like he should be. When he, he was the Joker, been. wasn't his band like a cheeseball goth rock emo band? Is it not my chemical romance? But I spend uh, most of my day trying to think not of Jared Leto, so <laughs> I could not tell you. Well, and he does. Uh, well, no, I'm thinking of Jake Gyllenhaal, but uh, Jared Leto does a lot of creepster movies, anyways. I feel mm. like, but that I might be mixing out Jake Gyllenhaal because they are of the same era. We're done here. Well, the machine has told us to wrap up. Maybe it's a big fan of Jared Leto and is not uh, happy with this conversation the way we're at. Make my, uh, it would make sense. We need to rate this film. You can see all of our ratings and the list that we're making of like the best to worst films of 1999 by going to our Letterboxd page, uh, which is letterboxd.com slash kdvstm. KDVSTM, by the way, is also all of our social media. And by all of our social media, I mean Twitter and Instagram. So, Dave, and, out and of five, yeah, wait, wait to see our TikTok challenge. Um, what would you rate this film out of five? You know, Kyle, I feel ambivalent. I, uh, no, I don't know. I think I'm leaning to like a three and a half, I guess, you know, three, three and a half. The more we talk about it, the more I kind of relish in the good points of it rather than mm-hmm. kind of getting mired in, in some of the, the startup cost, we'll call it. Uh, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll go with a three and a half, 3.5. Okay. Plus I've been kind of a cynical dour asshole the last couple of weeks. So sure. let's well, bump it up. Yeah. Well, we're back to being like completely on the same page because that's the exact rating that I gave to it myself, which we're was 3.5. We're friends again. 
I, I kind of agree with you. I think this is a strong movie. I, for me, this is a very personal Kyle Marshall opinion. It just never elevates to being like what I call great. And that's just like a, I know it when I see it sort of thing. That being said, I enjoyed it. I'm probably going to watch this movie again at some point in my life. It's just, yeah, it's not going to be on my like top, you know, 40 of the last 40 years type of thing. Quick note. Do you think Angelina Jolie deserved an Oscar for this movie? That's a hard question. That's a hard question because we haven't seen the rest of it. But I remember thinking that it should have gone to the mother in the sixth sense. What is her name? Tony Collette. Tony Collette. I thought it should have gone to Tony Collette. And not that uh, Angelina Jolie does not do a great performance, but um, especially when I look back in time, and I think this is that is that is still Tony Collette's only Oscar nomination, which boggles my mind because she is pretty great in everything she does. Um, we haven't watched The Sixth Sense yet. Not but, yet. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll come back to that. If we get, if the machine gives us that mm-hmm. movie to watch, we can revisit that. I, I, I think she's great in it. I don't know what Oscar means anymore, but... Yeah, uh, well, it, it's hard to say. And I think maybe what we, what we should do, we're just now spitballing here on the podcast, is uh maybe we should do like our own awards at the very end of like of the things we've watched what would we have given the awards to and then take it from there um that being said so we gave this a 3.5 both of us did that means it is tied with two other films so we need to figure out where it places okay i'm ready and this is gonna be hard because we split on both of these other ones so it ties with the mummy and three kings so do you think that should go above those two in the middle or at the bottom? You know, what's getting hard is they're all cross genre. Yeah. So it's hard to, like on different days, depending how moody yeah. we are, we might it's need like, a lighthearted comedy. Yeah, exactly. This gets hard to like compare against each other. It, it, I mean, it goes against my own ratings technically, but I personally would probably put it right between those two. I would mm-hmm. probably say mummy above it and then three kings underneath it. Yeah, I would definitely put it above Three Kings. The only reason why I would agree with you is The Mummy's more fun. Mm-hmm. And this movie is not. Um, <laughs> but just purely on an acting, thematic, plotline structure, in terms of kind of like worldliness, it is a better movie. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with you just... Uh, sure. Yeah, on the definition that movies are entertainment. And not existential. <laughs> crises, yeah. Yeah, crises, yeah. That means entering our list at the number 15 position is Girl Interrupted. All right, well, I guess that now means we get to figure out what we're watching next week. Let me just uh, push this button. Oh, okay, well, from Girls Getting Interrupted, we get to go and see why boys don't cry. That's oh. the movie we're going to be watching next week. All right. Um, which... Uh, this is getting back into the swing of things, a movie I have not seen. Me so. neither. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so I we'll didn't have to... any interest in watching that when I was 20. I don't know if my parents would have even allowed me to rent it. Anyways, that's uh, beside the point. So, do you, uh, you're fine being chained to the machine for one more night? Well, or are you ready to confront what you did? I think what I need is an injection of that good stuff for me to just lie down and take it. Take it for another night. That good stuff is Jolt Cola. (laughs) 